It's so good to come back yes. uh, after three weeks in other churches. And uh, I just don't appreciate, you know, until you're gone, you don't appreciate your family, you know, your church family. One thing about you folks, you don't know it, but I know because I've been in a lot of churches, you sing. Yes. And I love that. I love that. You praise God. I'm, we, Pat and I have been in churches ago. Is anybody singing here? <laughs> anybody worshiping God? So, whew, what a week it's been for, I don't know if the rest of you all know about what Pat and me, but the only reason I mention it, our house was flooded on Monday. The only reason I mention it is, again, you guys showed up. It's amazing. Uh, you know, I've been doing this, not, not patting myself, it's just part of the family you know, we respond, right? Hurricane Harvey, help each other and all that. I haven't been much of a recipient of that until now. <laughs> and uh, on Monday, I was a recipient of that. Pat and I were. We came back by God's grace. Uh, our truck needed a new transmission or re transmission repair. So we came back early, just temporarily, um, to take it to a uh, transmission shop. And we stopped by and we thought, well, we'll water the plants, check on the house, see how things are going. We walked in, um, but before we even walked in, we saw water coming out the front door. So that's not, that's not a good sign, right? And so I, you know, my personality is I opened the door and I grabbed a broom and I started shoving water out the door, right? And Pat comes up to me and she said, can we get some help from the boys across the street? And I said, uh, one, one bit of wisdom. I'm, you know, once in my life, I said the right thing. And I said, yes. <laughs> and the neighbors showed up, and because of uh, the Gilsons, who are dear Christian friends of ours across the street, they called Rhonda because of the relationship, and Rhonda got Carter, and Carter sent out the the. the uh, the fire fire alarm, you know, the appeal to everybody in our Friday morning prayer group, and everybody showed up and started m mopping and uh, shop uh, vacuuming the water and all of that. Praise God for you all. I can't thank you enough for all that you do, all you've done for us, me. I love you, and I thank God for you. Okay, so... I'm preaching out of Romans 10 today, and uh, there's a lot to cover, but uh, uh, so that some of you who want to get out to, and watch a ball game or eat supper, uh, dinner or something like that, I'll try to make it as short as possible, and uh, we'll get through it, okay? <laughs> Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, it is for you and because of you that we are here today, I pray, Lord, that we will focus on you now, that you will open our eyes, you will help us to put away all the distractions, all the things that might be lingering in our minds, in our hearts, uh, that could be hindering us from our perfect uh, complete focus on your word and the truth that you have to share with us that you will uh, impart to us that is not is good for us and it is would be good for our lives, our maturing in Christ and becoming more like him. That's my prayer right now 
my prayer today, Lord, please do that for us and in us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This starts, I, I don't, I didn't, uh, for obvious reasons, I didn't have a lot of time to uh, listen to Carter's sermon. Was it Carter that preached last Sunday? Yes. Last Sunday? I didn't hear about nine, about the sermon on Romans 9, uh, but I assume that he exegeted the scripture correctly, and so I'll just assume more or less what he preached. And this, if he introduced it or predicated it, uh, in as a part, as a group of three chapters, 9, 10, 11. If he didn't, I'll repeat it. Uh, it is about the Jews. Of course, all the Romans has been about the Jews, right? Uh, it is salvation by faith, not by works. You, the law is only to convict and only to draw you to Christ. It's only there to uh, show you the need for your salvation, to show you the impossibility of doing it on your own and so on and so forth. You've been doing that throughout up to up through Romans 9 and it's specifically in Romans 9 he talks about God's sovereignty and all of that. That it is his choice. That he does all of it. Uh, he chooses what he does, wants and he chooses whom he wants. And uh, it's his sovereignty at work in that. Well, interestingly, uh, as God is want to do, and through Paul, now he switches gears. He, he gives a, a flip side of that, another facet of that. So we're going to go from Romans 9 today, which is emphasizing God's sovereignty, to Romans 10, which sort of, you know, us, we Presbyterians are a little hard to, to go to that side of it, but uh, we'll get there, Right? God is good, and God is perfect, and God will carry us through that. I'm going to quote John Stott, whom I love, his commentary on Romans, <clears throat> to kind of predicate this or preface this for us. He says in his commentary, at the end of his commentary on Romans 9, uh, he quotes Charles Simeon. This is apparently a well-known minister in the early, early 19th century. John Stott himself is British, so I love the way he speaks and writes and so on. We all love British accent, don't we? Um, so I'm gonna, I may have to repeat it. I'll read it slowly uh, so that we can get the meat of it, get the meaning of it. He says, he quotes Charles Simeon, a minister in the early 19th century. And here's Simeon saying, when I come to a text which speaks of election, I delight myself in the doctrine of election. When the, apostle, when the apostles exhort me to repentance and obedience and indicate my freedom of choice and action, I give myself up to that side of the question. In defense of his commitment to both extremes, Simeon would sometimes borrow an illustration from the Industrial Revolution. I like this. Because when God made me, he gave, made me incomplete. And so uh, a big piece of me was missing, and that has been supplied by my wife. So uh, I see how this kind of works, see. Uh, as wheels, this is from the Industrial Revolution. As wheels in a complicated machine may move in opposite directions and yet subserve a common end, like the gears 
one moves in this direction, the other moves in that direction, and yet drives something at the end? That's the idea here. As wheels in a complicated machine may move in opposite directions and yet subserve a common end, so may truths apparently opposite be perfectly reconcilable with each other and equally subserve the purposes of God in the accomplishment of man's salvation. So we're going to look at this today from the perspective of our responsibility, human responsibility in response to this gospel message. Now people quote this, Romans 10, this is the end of the Roman road. If you've ever been taught in evangelism, Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, Romans 5.8, and so on, you get to the Romans 10, uh, 9 and 10, 8 and 9. 9 and 10, there we go. And we're going to read that. We're going to read that in just a minute. You're all going to stand and honor the Lord and honor the God's word. But that is what everybody focuses on. Everybody says, well, Romans 10, oh yeah. Uh, any, uh, for whoever uh, confesses the, Jesus Christ as Lord and believes in their heart uh, that God raised him from the dead, he will be saved, right? Everybody knows that. Uh, I'm not going <laughs> to, maybe you do, maybe you don't. Uh, but, and that's what it is about. But there's so much more to it. I want to talk about that today and we'll, we'll develop that and look into it more deeply. But, so, let's stand in the honor of God's word, this isn't a long chapter. It's full of meaning, but we're going to read it uh, in its entirety. And this is in the NIV. Sorry. Uh, oh, it's in ESV? I'm sorry. I didn't get around to do it in an ESV. So, how am I going to do that? Give me a Bible, somebody. Huh? Is that NIV? It's ESV, right? Just listen, okay? All right. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God. Now, this is very similar to the first part of 9, where he said, I would even go to hell for my people, the people of Israel. He repeats it again here. Uh, his deep, de deep desire for Israel to be saved. He says... Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I, am, I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses describes in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. Kind of like living by the gun will die by the gun. Similar. The man who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the deep? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith cometh, comes from hearing. Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. But I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. These are quoting Old Testament. Again I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. That's the Gentiles. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. This is God's word. Please be seated. So that's the message. That's the gospel. It can't be more clearly stated than that. And in the context of the Jewish rejection of this gospel, when Christ was here, uh, only some were saved. Only some followed Christ through the whole thing. And so, but so here he's putting, Paul is putting it in terms of a righteousness that is by God or from God and man's righteousness, a self-made righteousness. That's what's happening here. So it's, it's God's righteousness by faith, man's righteousness by works. And that's where the Jews are now as Paul is writing to them uh, in Rome or wherever, he's, wherever they are. So uh, Paul is greatly concerned for the people of Israel. His prayer, this is a hopeful thing, more hopeful than the nine, the beginning of chapter nine, because here he says, it's my prayer to God that they would be saved. He still holds out his hands, as God is holding out his hands, uh, his hope that somehow God will have mercy. And you, you will see that in chapter 11 next uh, week, uh, that there is a hope, there is a returning, and, and God is merciful, and God is gracious. And so Paul uh, recognizes that and uh, it takes comfort and joy in that. So this zeal, he commends them for their zealousness. He, himself, he says himself, I was zealous for God. And what did it, that zealousness do? It caused me to kill Christians, to condemn them, to put them in prison, to at least... Uh, affirm or approve or participate in the persecution and even death of Christians. His zeal was wrong. It was from the wrong source. He didn't know. Why? Because the Bible says it was not based on knowledge. He didn't understand. He didn't know. 
until Jesus hit him on the head, knocked him off his horse, he didn't understand, right? And he's saying the same thing is true for the Jews. They have, it, it's, been, it's great that they're zealous, but it's not great if it's a wrong kind of zealousness. You know, in this, we're going to go back to Moses here. So it's really important that we tie this to Moses because Paul ties it to Moses. But from the days of Moses, where Moses is saying, do this, obey, obey this law. This is the law of God. This is the will of God. This is the mind of God. This is what God wants you to do. And they said, yes, we'll do it. The situation there... Yeah, and I want to read that. This is at the end of, of Moses' life. End of Moses' life, 120 years old, just before they're on the banks of the Jordan River, on the cusp of a new life. The old life was going away. The new life was coming. They're going into the promised land. And Moses is preaching to them and talking to them in the book of Deuteronomy about the future. This is what? God wants you to do. This is what God's hope is for you. And so he laid it all out there in a way that had not been laid in Leviticus and Exodus. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the point is that, yes, they responded with, yes, we will do it. And then what happened? You know, they slipped away. And then later on, God gets them back. Yes, we're going to do it. We're going to be zealous for God. And uh, over and over and over again, the zeal was, was not permanent. It wasn't based on any, you know, any eternal truth that they understood, that they knew, even though Moses at that point had told them uh, the truth and, and about that. So on through history, you know, they back and forth, back and forth. There were some, the remnant is there. Uh, you see it in Samuel and King David and Jehoshaphat and Hezekiah and the prophets and so on. Uh, God is saving a people for himself. But there are others who were not following God. They were not getting it. The knowledge wasn't there. It was based, it says, it says here, uh, since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God, they sought to establish their own. And they did not submit to God's righteousness. So by the time Jesus comes along, the Messiah comes, what's the condition of the people of Israel? You know, they are so far away from God that they weren't ready for the Messiah in any way. You look at three different, just quickly, three different aspects of the society of Israel you had the Herodians who had completely gone uh, to the Roman side, to the Greek side, given up God completely. They sold out completely to the secular world, right? And the Herodians wanted to kill Jesus for their own purposes. The Sadducees had given up any hope of any eternal life, any kind of future. They were Stoics. They were the early ex existentialists, you know. They said, this is it. This is all there is. Let's, you know... Yes, there is a God. Yeah, we'll serve him, but it's only for this time in this place. And the Pharisees, had, they misconstrued it, the word and so on. They said, we're the ones that are zealous, right? 
we're gonna we're gonna do this by our own effort we're gonna observe the law we're gonna obey the law and we're gonna get to heaven with this jesus Nah, we're not gonna follow him you know we're gonna do it by and that's what paul is talking about here he's saying you yeah some of you the ones who are zealous you're still messed up you still don't get it you still don't have it the truth you don't understand because you don't know Hosea, the book of Hosea says, it's because of the lack of knowledge of God. It's of God. But they didn't consider it worthwhile to go back. Let me go back to Moses. I'm going to read it to you and just see, show you what Moses finally got, I believe, or was trying to finally get across to the Jews. If you look at the context of what he's quoting there about Moses saying, it's not, it's, it's not far from you. It's near your heart. It's, uh, and it says, does not uh, uh, say who will ascend into heaven or who will descend to the deep. Uh, but what does it say? The word is near you, it's in your mouth and in your heart. Those are the words of Moses in the book of Deuteronomy. At the end of the book Deuteronomy, it's chapter 30. Uh, 32 chapters, right? Or 30, yeah. Anyway, it's at the end of the book. Final words of Moses. And what's interesting about Deuteronomy, it is a second repetition of the law, and it's very much emphasized. But if you go back and read it, something when I when I first read through the Deuteronomy, it was you know trying to study through it, I was going, something different about this. I started reading this strange little word, little four-letter word, called love. And that's not Moses. Moses ever talk like that? He didn't mention it all in a relationship with God in Genesis. He mentions it a couple of times in Exodus. He mentions it a, a, a couple of times in Leviticus, but only love your neighbor as yourself and that kind of thing. But love for God and God's love for you, uh, mentioned a couple of times in, in Numbers. But when he gets to you know the last book of the Torah, uh, that's where, at the end of his life, at the end of their time in the wilderness, just as they're going into the promised land, he's trying to get across to them, this is about love, loving God, knowing God, doing God's will from the heart, wholeheartedly, not obeying some legalistic law. Moses tried to get that across to them. I'm going to read this to you. Uh, very quickly, I'll go through some of this. It says... Um, yeah, verse 30. When all these blessings and cursings I've set for before you come upon you, you take them to heart. To heart. By the way, uh, he, you first mention of thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. Deuteronomy 6, 5. First time. And Jesus quoted it. You know, it's been quoted through the New Testament. Moses got it. Anyway, he says... Um, you take them to heart wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations. And when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart, with all your soul, according to everything I command you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he gathered you. This is the relationship that he's talking about between God and the people of Israel. It's a living, dynamic relationship of the heart where God loves his people. Throughout Deuteronomy, you say that, you see that, 
he loves those who love him to a thousand generations and so on and so forth. It's throughout Deuteronomy, 20 some times. And he says here in verse 6, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart. That's God's doing. Sovereignly, he's doing it, right? The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live life. It's what he's setting before them today. Life, right? Through the heart, through love for God. The Lord your God will put all these curses on, on your enemies and so on and so forth. And he says in verse 10, if you obey the Lord your God and keep his commands and decrees that are written in this book of the law and turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And this is the part that he quotes, that Paul is quoting. Now what I command to you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea, so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us, so that we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. That's what Paul is quoting. He didn't quote it perfectly. He paraphrased it. And the commentators, uh, you know, the idea is that it's not directly trans, uh, transferable. Because Moses is talking about the law, and Paul is talking about faith. It's not a contradiction at all. Was it near them? Of course. They'd been taught since they were kids about the law, about God. They should have known. They have no excuse. They should have known him in their heart and in their soul. They should have known what he wanted, his mind, his will, right? It's represented in the law. But it's not to be adhered. Uh, Moses is trying to emphasize the heart aspect of this, the faith aspect of this, right? That helps them to turn to God, to obey God, to seek Him. In fact, it says in uh, the next verse, it says, "See, I set before you life today." This is this is the uh, this is the not not the sovereign side. <laughs> this is the other side. Okay. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today. Now, God is in control of this. God makes the rules. He doesn't just give it to you to do it any way you want. It's not your way. It's God's way. So God is, we're not taking anything away from God's sovereignty here and his complete control. But, so he says, for I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his command, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you, and so on and so forth. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursings. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God Listen to his voice, hold fast to him, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you. Now, does that sound like legalism, adherence to the law? That's Moses. He's 120 years old, and he's finally got it, right? Or at least he's passing it on. 
It's about loving God. It's about walking with God. It's about being with God. It's about pleasing Him. It's about faith. Now, if you think I've stretched that a little bit from the Old Testament, I don't see it. I don't think I have. I think it's there. Paul wouldn't have quoted it, wouldn't have referred his readers back to it if it was completely contradictory to what Paul was trying to say. You see what I'm saying? It's words of truth and of life. The kicker there is God is saying, I command you, I command you, choose. You only have one. I only give you one choice. Life or death. Let's go on with the rest of the... We're going to come back to that. Back to what Paul is saying. It was in their mouths. It was near them. It was in their heart. They should have known, but they didn't know. And for that, God will call them to task over it. But, he's, but Paul makes the connection that Christ is the end of that law. When, when, as I said, the Pharisees and Herodians and Sadducees, what did Christ find in Israel? He found a remnant. He found John the Baptist. He found the disciples of John the Baptist. He saw Peter and those who were looking to the coming Messiah. There were those there who were ready, ready for the coming Messiah. Now, the question is, in the choice, in in Paul's lament, did they all believe? No. Only some did. Many thronged to Jesus. Many heard his words. They heard, did they not hear? Well, I'm going to get that in a minute. Situation of Jesus' day. Did they all follow him? Many came, but many left. They rejected him. Just like the Jewish nation, just like right now, the Jewish people as a whole, had rejected Christ. But not all of them. Some were saved. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Paul says, um, yeah, Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. And that's the next point he's talking. He's saying, all, everyone who confesses with their mouth Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God is raised from the dead, will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Now, the order of that is first faith, first belief, and then confession, right? He, he says it the other way because Moses said it the other way. Moses said, it is near, it is in your mouth and in your heart. That's the order that Moses said it, right? So Paul goes ahead and agrees with that, uh, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the way of salvation. And then he reverses it back uh, the way it would be, should be in the order, for it is with your heart that you believe and, we, and are justified. You are declared not guilty because the sins of your, your sins and my sins were put on Christ. It's his righteousness, the imputed righteousness of Christ that comes to us. We are justified, declared not guilty because of Christ, because of his righteousness. And it is with your heart, it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. You say, well, confession saves me. Confession confirms it. 
Confession confirms the, salva, the, the faith, excuse me, that saves you. Faith in Jesus Christ. Remember Ephesians 2, 8 and 9? You talk about it's for by grace that you are saved through faith and not, not of yourselves. But then it's to good works. James puts the other side of it. says, your faith is worthless unless it is accompanied or confirmed or evidenced by your works. Your life is supposed to uh, confirm your heart, your faith, what's inside your heart. And when that happens, that is complete. Salvation comes. Anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. Now, this angered the Jews, that Paul was the apostle to the Gentile. They couldn't stand it. But that's exactly what God prophesied in the Old Testament. He was going to use the Gentiles to make them envious, to anger them, to, as a means of bringing them back. You will learn that in chapter 11 next week, right? But he says, now he gives the order of evangelism. Evangelism is the ordinary means. It's the means of grace. It involves us. It involves us. It involves preachers, right? There is a process or a step, stage of uh, God that God establishes. And he kind of puts it in reverse order. He says, there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is the Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. When we're talking about calling on the name, it's not just speaking it with your mouth. It's, it's springing from more than that. It's springing from your faith. It's springing from a trust. When you call upon God, that means you're appealing to, you're trusting in him, you're depending on him. You have put your faith in him, not in the law, not in yourself, not in your own righteousness, but in God. Everyone who calls upon the name in that way of God, or calls on the name of the Lord, that's Jesus actually, uh, will be saved because it represents faith, a saving faith, right? Going on with the process. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So he goes backwards. Those who are called, who call upon the name of the Lord are saved. That's the end product. Your salvation, my salvation, right? How does it come about? Well, let's go back and look. In fact, Stott says it in this order. Uh, if I can find it in my notes. He says, he, he points out there's four stages, calling, connected to believing, believing connected to hearing, hearing connected to preaching, and preaching connected to being commissioned by God, sent by God. Uh, but Stott says there are six verbs in all of that. The last verb is saved. Salvation, that's the end product, right? So, but in the order, the logical order would be Christ sends heralds, preachers. Heralds preach. People hear. Hearers believe. Believers call upon the Lord, and those who call are saved. That's the process, and that involves us. It involves you as a witness for Christ. It involves me as a preacher. It's not because I, it isn't that I'm necessary. Well, if God didn't have me, he would just pick somebody else up. You know, he'd call someone else. You know, I'm, I'm not special. But this is the way that God has established it. 
It's through prophets. It's through preachers. It's through the proclamation of his word, his truth, the grace and mercy of God that is available through Jesus Christ has to be preached. You have to hear it, and then it has to get into your heart, and then you have to what? Accept it. You have to respond to that. So the means is evangelism. And, it, and how beautiful are the feet. I, every time I came back from Kazakhstan, I said, I don't have pretty feet. Sorry, my wife does. <laughs> I love my wife's feet. She has pretty feet. And Pat, never been, she's always been embarrassed every time I mention that. But, uh, <laughs> but it's here. And so I just thought I'd mention it again. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Where am I? Yeah. It says... Um, yeah, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You're bringing good news, words of life, like what Paul, Moses is talking about. He's giving them words of life. That's what you're doing. And you have Jesus, the name Jesus, who has all the power in the universe to save, to speak, to preach. But not all Israelites accepted the good news. Many who came to Christ in that day did not accept it. And Jesus himself said, will you leave also to his disciples? And they said, who else are we going to go to? You're it. You're the one. You're the Christ. Through that confession, that possession, and that confession, um, some were saved. And that's the way it's always going to be, unfortunately. I would like for it to be different. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord who has believed our message. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word of Christ. Christ is the living word. And we preach his word for the salvation of people. And so it says here, um, but I asked, did they not hear? Of course they did. They were taught, the Israelites were taught from the, uh, the, the Torah, the five books. They had Deuteronomy. They had that. They just passed over it. They didn't get it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and all your strength. Well, I can't do that, but I'll observe the moral and ceremonial law and all that stuff. Maybe that'll get me there, you know. Their voice has gone out to all the earth, their words to the end of the world. Again, I ask, did Israel not understand? Uh, I will make you, Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation, that is the Gentiles. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. God is using Paul to anger the Jews of his day, to bring them back to himself, to say, I'm saving these people. Now, what are you going to do? You know, they didn't seek me. They didn't ask for me. Through my sovereignty, through my decision, my work, I am going to save them anyway. Now, back to you. What are you going to do? You've had this from the beginning. And you've messed it up. You didn't accept it. You didn't hear it. You didn't understand. You didn't know me. You say you know me, but you don't know me. If you knew me, you would know the Son. You would accept the Son. You would love the Son. That's what John 8 says. So Isaiah says, 
I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to who did not ask for me. And they were saved by faith, not by works. But regarding Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Why in the world did God choose the Israelites? I have no idea. But they're his people. And, he, and somehow it brought him glory to bring, to, 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 to choose them to bring his salvation to the world, to the nations, through them, an obstinate and stubborn and contrary people, uh, disobedient. It's God's way. Deuteronomy 29, 29, just before this passage says, the thing, secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. That we may... What does it say? That we may live. Let's see. Uh, that we may follow all the words of this law. Follow the words of this law. Certain things, God, we will not... You, you, can't, you can ask why, but you can't get necessarily an answer. Why did God choose that person and not me? We don't know. It's in the, it belongs to the secret things of God. But it still doesn't take away... The demand, the command, the requirement that you choose. You must respond. When Jesus went to the disciples on the, on the Sea of Galilee, he said, follow me. They had a choice. They, I call this a crisis of faith. You've all been there. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, now don't tell me. I mean, I'm not saying that you didn't know Jesus from the time you were a child. But I will tell you this. God made himself apparent to you, real to you, at some time in your life. If it wasn't in a salvation sense, it was in a refinement sense. He has tested you. If he hasn't, he's going to. Because he will refine you, as one of our brothers in Christ quotes Job, Job 23.10. So that you will come forth as gold. Right? So... It demands a response. There is a human responsibility in all of this. You can't just put it all on God. Oh, well, I'm going to do what he's going to do. And, you know, you know, he doesn't require me. I'm just, you know. You, you know, you can philosophize about that if you want. You can talk about it. You can argue about it. You can denominationally disagree and all of that garbage, you know. But the fact is that God puts it before you just the way Mo Moses put it before Israel. Choose this day. Jo Joshua later said, Choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. So there is a choice on your part. You cannot avoid it. It's God's way. And so, uh, Israel, they were faced with a, the choice from the days of Deuteronomy. And many of them chose death. Can you believe it? They chose death. Of course, they'd already chosen. You know, I mean, they were born in sin. In a sense, they'd already rebelled. They'd already chosen death. But some, at some point in this, in this life, the life that you're going to live, you're going to encounter God. I pray that you will. And you're going to encounter him in a way that, I mean, think about the disciples. Man, talk about crises of faith. From the day they dropped their nets. Who is this guy? 
He's walking on water. He's saving these people. He's doing this. You know what? He's talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. What am I going to do about that? You know? Wow. Time after time, Jesus said, what do you say? What are you going to do? Make a decision here. And they always chose him. Praise God. They chose him because they brought the message to us. Right? But that crisis of faith was there with them. That's the way God has always done it. And it's the way he's always going to do it. You can't pass it off. Welcome it if you want to say that. No, I don't welcome floods in my house. You know, I don't welcome Harvey. I don't welcome when you're a child in high school and something happens and, and you, somebody says this word to you, you know, preaches this message to you and go, wow, what do I do with that? God, what are you telling me? What am I supposed to do? Believe. It's by faith. The word is simple. See, that's the point. That's the point in this. It says it's not... Uh, Moses said it's not too hard. Now, I don't want to work into that. It's too hard to obey the law. It's impossible to obey the law. But the message that Moses was trying to get across there had to do with love and following God and, and living with him and following his ways and so on, a relationship with God through love. That's not too difficult for you. And Moses repeats it because of Christ. Christ has already done it all. You don't have to do anything. Say, say yes, I believe, I accept. And God says, okay, great. Now let's keep on going. There's going to be a few other rough spots down the road, by the way. You're going to be encountering some more opportunities, <laughs> you know, to learn, to choose, to grow in your faith. That's the way I'm going to do it because I'm in, I'm in control and this is the way I'm going to work it. So be ready, you know, for me to invade your life. I'm praying that God will do that for you in a very real way. If he hasn't done it for you in salvation, why not now? God is preaching to you. He sent preachers to give the message, the saving message. And if you believe it in your heart and you confess it with your mouth, you will be saved. That's what Paul says here. So are we going to do it? Aren't we? The opportunity for you will certainly come because God is faithful. He will give you an opportunity because you, you will not have any excuse if you reject him. You will not. Will we walk away like so many who personally heard Jesus' words when he walked on the earth among them? Or will we say, yes, Lord Jesus, I believe and I trust in you alone for my salvation. I'm not just saying that for you here. I'm saying it for that camera up there. Anybody who's watching, anybody who's listening on TV, the question is, the question is, will we walk away like so many who personally heard him? Or will we say, yes, Lord Jesus, I believe and trust in you alone for my salvation. I will listen to your voice and follow you all the days of my life. 
And when the testing of your faith comes, as it surely will, will you say, help me, Lord, to learn and to change as you direct through this testing that you bring into my life. Make me and mold me according to your good pleasure so that I may become all that you want me to be. Will you choose that? What will you choose? It's between you and God, but he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't um, give you any other alternatives. He is in control, and he makes you choose. He forces you to. He doesn't force you to believe. That's not in any of our confessions that he forces you to believe. Don't let anybody tell you that. But he forces you to choose. That's his sovereignty. That's his right. He's God. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your words. I thank you for this word of Paul, that you used him as your messenger, and you preached through him uh, to the people of that day. Words of faith, words of life, words of joy, words of relationship and reconciliation with you. And Lord, I pray that I've been faithful to do that today. I pray that there, whoever out here today has not made that uh, life eternal, life confession of faith and received you as his own Lord, his or her own Lord and Savior, I pray that they do that now. Uh, that, Lord, that you will intervene and invade their life down the road at some point where they will respond to you in faith and they will receive um, Jesus Christ as their Savior, their Lord, um, their all. Um, and Lord, help us, all those who, of us who are saved now, uh, continue to lean on you, to rely on you, and to accept uh, your teaching, your training, your molding of us. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.